And by the way, if you're saved, you don't walk in the way of the ungodly. Your life has been changed. And if your religion hasn't changed your life, you better change your religion. Because if any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. You have a new direction, a new proclivity to aspire to the things of God. Welcome to Search the Scriptures, the Bible teaching ministry of Dr. Carl Brogy, Senior Pastor of Community Bible Church in Beaufort, South Carolina. Today is part three and the conclusion of Pastor Carl's sermon entitled, The Great Reset. Over the past two days, Pastor Carl has been preaching from Revelation chapter 13 on the authority given to the Antichrist and the amazement that he will produce worldwide. Hebrews chapter 5 verses 13 through 14 say, For everyone who partakes only of milk is not accustomed to the word of righteousness, for he is an infant. But solid food is for the mature, who because of practice have their senses trained to discern good and evil. Christians worldwide need to be discerning, and we do that by reading the word of God daily. Let's join Pastor Carl now as he continues. Number one, we know that Satan has been given power to perform false miracles. That's one of the themes in Matthew 24 during the time of the tribulation. And it's seen in scripture. We've been studying with Pastor Larry uh, the Exodus. And we saw in the Exodus how these magicians were given power to take their rod and to turn it into a snake and to take water and turn it into blood. So they had some power, though it was limited. We saw in the book of Job how Job uh, by, is destroyed his, his body by boils that Satan puts on him miraculously. How a tornado of sorts comes and wipes out his family. Uh, even Judas had power. Now, I don't think Judas's power came by Jesus, I mean by, by Satan, but from Jesus, but still he had power and he was not a believer. In Matthew 7, at the final judgment, Jesus speaks of those who preach in his name, cast out demons in his name, perform miracles in his name, and he'll say to them, I never knew you, because an unbeliever can do all three of those things. And of course, when Judas did miracles, um, he had the same authority, Matthew 10, 1, authority was given to him and all the disciples over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. So nothing within the biblical text indicates that Judas did not do the same miracles that the rest did. So some would say, well, you know, while it's not true of Judas, he was an unbeliever, but Satan can do miracles. And so Satan did this miracle in bringing the Antichrist out of a dead state. A second possibility that some would argue is that God did it. God did it to this unbeliever. He did it as a judgment because of people's rejection of the Messiah. But I think third, there's a better explanation. I think this guy was, will really, truly, genuinely be dead. And I think Satan will perform the miracle. And let me explain why that does not discredit the resurrection of Jesus. 
If you remember in the scripture, there are eight people who are raised from the dead. Here's a list. There was Elijah who raised the widow of Zarephath's son. There was Elisha who raised the Shunammite woman. There was a man who is thrown into Elisha's grave. Remember, he lands on his bones and he springs right out of the grave, I guess six feet, and comes back to life. Uh, Jesus did three of the raisings. He raised the widow of Nain's son. He raised Jairus' daughter, and most famously, he raised Lazarus from the dead. Peter himself raised Tabitha called Dorcas in Scripture, and Paul raised Eutychus. Now, Paul and Peter and Elisha and Elijah raising people from the dead didn't mean they were God. You know, when kids come in, I'll ask them, well, what if they nailed Jesus to a cross, which they did, buried him in a tomb, which they did, but he didn't come back to life? What would that mean? And if they're sharp and understand the meaning of the resurrection, they'll say, well, it meant that he's not God. And so the calendar is dated, what, 2022, Anno Domini, in the year of the Lord. The resurrection, he was declared with power by the resurrection from the dead. But occasionally, some perceptive child will say, well, if that means he's God, the resurrection, what about Lazarus? Because he's not God. Well, understand, there's a major difference between being raised to life and being resurrected to life. These people were all raised to life and the body they went down into the grave in only to come out in the same body and to be buried a second time later on. But Paul can describe the Lord Jesus as the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. And John can describe him in the Revelation as the firstborn of the dead. And so Jesus, in proof of his deity, says, for just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the Son also gives life to whom he wishes. And so indeed, he will raise not only himself up, but he will raise up people to live in heaven or to live in hell. But the Antichrist will raise someone to life, Jesus alone, has the power of resurrection. Verse 3, I saw one of his heads, one of the heads or persons on this beast, as if it had been slain, and his fatal wound was healed. And so people say, now wait a minute. It says, as if he had been slain. That means maybe he really wasn't slain. Well, the way it's structured in, in, in Greek means he was slain. But even if you didn't know a word of Greek, and I don't ever be intimidated by someone who tries to bully you with the Greek text if he can't prove it to you out of the English text. If you read Revelation 5 and verse 6, you would see, John writes, and I saw between the throne with the four living creatures and the elders a lamb standing as if slain. We find here in our English Bible the exact same Greek phrase being used of the Lord Jesus. By this, John doesn't mean, well, maybe he was killed. No, he means he was slain. He was literally dead. And by extension and application and the kind of class statement it is in Greek, he's saying the Antichrist is dead. There's some assassination attempt on this guy. Maybe the three kings who tried to, you know, usurp his power, and he overthrew. We're not told. All we know is that he indeed died, and he literally comes back to life, and this is going to bedazzle the world. Now, remember last time, if you were here, we studied from 2 Thessalonians 2. Paul is writing of the coming Antichrist, and he says, "...and that lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will slay with the breath of his life." John records the slaying of the Antichrist. 
whom the Lord will slay with the breath of his mouth, excuse me, and bring to an end by the appearance of his coming. That is the one whose accord, the one whose coming is in accord with the activity of Satan, with all power and signs and false wonders, and with all the deception of wickedness for those who perish. Because they did not receive the love of the truth so as to be saved. For this reason, because they did not respond to the gospel, there's a time limit on your ability to get saved. For this reason, God will send upon them a deluding influence so that they might believe what is false. Now, you could take verse 11, believe what is false, and translate it a little bit more literally. The New King James, like the marginal reading of the NAS that we didn't have time to examine last time, reads, and for this reason, God will send upon them strong delusion that they should believe the lie. Not any old lie, but the lie. And so when this event happens, when this Antichrist is brought back to life, this, remember, is still in the first half of the tribulation, even before he commits the abomination of desolation, the world is going to believe he is their redeemer. They will believe the lie. I think what Paul is doing is he's giving some meat to what John is describing and the world will fall on him. Think about this. Think about how this could happen. It will be so incredible. Here he is. The world is going to be grieving. He's going to be laid in state. The cameras from around the world, the satellites will be broadcasting. This one whom the world had put their hope in, there in his casket, thousands will probably go by and show him respect. And then suddenly, he'll get up out of that casket and walk up to the microphone and say, I am God Almighty, I need to be worshipped. And the world will believe it. And they will embrace it. And I saw one of his heads as if it had been slain and the fatal wound was healed. The whole earth was amazed and followed after the beast. And they're going to have their one world leader. Now, we live in a day where globalism, more and more, is seen as the answer to our problems. And so there's a lot of uh, talk today about the coming Great Reset. Uh, in the past, it was just kind of somewhat nebulous, somewhat hidden, but now it's broadcasted. And people are saying, like through Klaus Schwab, through the World Economic Forum, that this is the solution to our world's problems. Now, he indeed was the one who coined this word, uh, the Great Reset, but it's not new to him. It goes all the way back to the Tower of Babel, and what he is doing is evil. What they are doing in the World Economic Forum is an evil act, and it's in violation of clear scripture because God is not in favor of globalism except as it refers to his son. Remember what Paul said in Acts 17, 26? That God made from one man, that is Adam, every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined their appointed times and boundaries of their habitation. In 1951, the World Economic Forum was founded by Schwab. He was its founder and has been the president. They've met every single year since 1951 in Davos, Switzerland. I went to Davos when I was in high school to go skiing. Little did I know what was going on. I had no prophetic mind or no, thing, no heart for the things of God at that point. 
But of course, uh, their focus has been to bring together a one world economy. Uh, they used to somewhat hide it under the guise of the Trilateral Commission, but no longer. The last few years, especially in the meeting they just had a few months ago in June, they invited all the presses of the world, and it was live streamed for the first time across the planet. And of course, uh, they see the answer to the world's problems is the countries of the world coming together under a single economy. What they are planning, what they are trying to bring about is a preset for the coming reset that the Antichrist will bring about. And of course, they haven't had much success until COVID. And that's when he wrote his book. I've read it. And in his book, Schwab says, or actually not in his book, but he said it in reference to his book, in reference to COVID, he said, the pandemic represents a rare but narrow window of opportunity to reflect, reimagine, and reset our world. That's a significant statement that Schwab makes. He is stating here that COVID is not simply some catastrophe, but it is an opportunity to reflect, reimagine, and reset our world. And for Schwab, he means not only the economy, but as we're going to see, he has the identical parallels that the Antichrist will come, because the great reset is going to come on three levels. Morally, religiously, one level, governmentally, which we're exploring this morning, and economically, that is going to bleed them all back together. Now, again, it's given under several names, when George Bush, H.W., was president, they often referred to it as the New World Order. Today, they call it the Global Reset, and they also call it, as many of you know, Build Back Better. I don't think it's by accident that our president has titled his signature bill, Build Back Better. Why? Because he's on board with this group. And of course, most recently, he wrote another bill called the Inflation Reduction Act, and it's dubbed, quote, the single largest investment in climate action in U.S. history. And when you realize the mindset these people are coming from, you realize why they're allowing people just to pour over the borders. A tennis player who's had COVID, who doesn't want the shot, he's not allowed in the country to complete, compete. But hundreds of thousands, now over 2 million people have walked over the border. What makes a nation a nation? But you have borders. That's what Acts 17 and the rest of Holy Scripture affirms. No borders. No nation. I'm not saying we shouldn't be compassionate towards people in need. God told the Jewish people, yes, you need to be compassionate to the widow and the orphan and, and the alien and the land, but they have to fall under the parameters of Israel. Our government doesn't care about that. And why do you suppose they want to spend so much money? You spend enough money, this country will be bankrupt. You cannot spend money you have not earned without eventually paying a price. This would be perfect. It would be perfect for a coming economic reset. Now I'm getting ahead of myself. We'll come to that. But just understand... They use crises. The crisis of COVID created so much fear. 
that for the first time in recorded history, like we had never seen before, all the nations of the world came together in cooperation. Now, when they met in June, because they realized that COVID is supposedly fading away, what was the theme of their June topic? It was climate change. And I think we'll probably see that as the next crises that will be used to bring about this worldwide reach among the nations of the world. One third of all their sessions in June dealt with the subject of climate change. This is biblically significant because when the Antichrist comes on the scene, he will come on the scene in an atmosphere of chaos. Millions of people will have been caught up in the air The world will be in turmoil, and it will be the chaos, the crisis of the day that will cause people to be willing to abdicate freedoms that they have in order to have a sense of security. Do I think the World Economic Forum is the Great Reset? No, they're just the Great Preset. The Great Reset is yet to come. Now, how can we apply this portion of Scripture? Let me make three applications as we close. Number one, I learned from this text of Scripture that when you reject the truth, you will believe a lie. When you reject the truth, you will believe a lie. Truth and error are opposite sides of the same coin because the Bible teaches to refuse the truth is to embrace a lie. That's what we read about Jesus' prophecy this morning in John 5. I have come in my Father's name, and you did not receive me. If another shall come in his own name, you'll receive him. Same is true today. If a man refuses to listen to his doctor and what he prescribes is the right solution, he will soon adapt the wrong solution, the wrong remedy. A person who rejects the truth of creation will soon embrace the false lie of evolution. And if a person will not respond to the message of Jesus and leave the broad road and get on the narrow road that leads to life, they will stay on the broad road that will lead to destruction. Jesus came fully credited with all of the essential ingredients showing that he was no ordinary man, but he was the one that the prophet spoke of. A baby would be born and the baby's name will become, be called mighty God. And yet what did they do? Paul reminds us in Romans 10, it's what most Gentiles do today. The average Gentile thinks he's good enough to earn heaven. Seeking to establish a righteousness of their own, Paul said, they rejected the righteousness that God gifts to people. You need a righteousness that you cannot earn or merit that is gifted to you. If it is by grace, he'll say, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace is no longer grace. If another shall come in his own name, you will receive him. And as you bring it back to the Jewish nation, they never once ever embraced a false Christ until Jesus came. And when they rejected Jesus, now they have a history throughout the ages of having embraced pseudo-messiahs. When you reject the truth, you will believe a lie, and that's true not just of Jews, it's true of Gentiles. Secondly, mark it down big and plain, to those who are saved, we need to be discerning. If you're saved, you need to be discerning. Even today, without the Antichrist to do Satan's bidding, Christians are still in danger of being distracted or deceived. 
Remember, for everything that God has, Satan has a counterfeit. He has a duplicate. Here's a chart that might help you to see a comparison between God's agenda through Christ and the evil one's agenda through Antichrist. Christ will come and perform miracles and signs and wonders. We studied last time from 2 Thessalonians 2. Satan will come through his Antichrist and do miracles, signs, and wonders. Jesus claimed to be God incarnate. The Antichrist, though he's not God incarnate, though he is possessed of the evil one, he will claim to be God incarnate. That's part of the abomination of desolation. Jesus inspires the worship of God the Father. The Antichrist will inspire the worship of Satan. We just read that. Christ's followers during the tribulation, they are given a seal on their forehead, 144,000 who cannot be destroyed that they might preach the gospel to the world. Antichrist followers, they're sealed in a different way with a number on their forehead or hand. Christ, his name is worthy. Satan's name, his antichrist, well, the text will describe as we walk through, it's a blasphemous name. Jesus sits on a throne, not just now in heaven, but someday on a literal throne in Jerusalem where he'll rule for a thousand years, and we'll see why. Satan, his antichrist, he'll also rule on a throne. Jesus is married to a holy bride. Satan is revelation 17 and 18 teaches through his antichrist is married to a harlot. Here's another chart that helps us to see the comparisons. Again, Christ comes riding on a white horse. So does the antichrist. Christ has an army behind him. So does the antichrist. Christ dies a violent death. So does the antichrist. Christ is resurrected. Well, he mimics resurrection, the antichrist. Christ will reign the world. So will the Antichrist. Christ is a member of the Holy Trinity. The Antichrist is a member of this unholy Trinity. In every possible way, Satan will try to counterfeit Jesus. Now listen to me. Without the Antichrist here on the planet, he is still doing it. For everything that God has, Satan has his counterfeit. There are counterfeit Christians today. They're called hypocrites. There's a counterfeit church in our day, just as there was in the first century when John describes one church in Revelation 2 as the synagogue of Satan. There are deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons in our day. There are false Christs, false messiahs. There's great signs and wonders, Jesus said, that are coming, if possible, to deceive even the elect. These are perilous times. So how do you stand up against these perilous times? You get into this book. You see, and that's what's been jettisoned. God alone will evaluate their ministry, but Rick Warren and Bill Hybels did a great disservice to the evangelical church. Bill Hybels came out as a fake. All these women that he was with all these years, and people were telling me, why don't I follow Bill Hybels' advice? Because it was contrary to Scripture. Oh, you'd give a 20-minute message and just a little fluff and a verse here and there to make people feel good. That's not what the church needs. The church needs solid biblical truth because that's what will change your life and give you discernment in the days that we live in. And this is part of the reason for the coming apostasy, why so many of these cultural Christians are now turning away from the Christian faith and they will embrace the Antichrist. Because you see, in Hybels and Warren's theology, you can hold on to your sin at the same time as have Christ as your Savior. 
And Jesus said, unless you repent, you will perish. Listen to what the writer of the Hebrews said to believers. For everyone who partakes only of milk is not accustomed to the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. Solid food, he said, is for the mature who, because of practice, have their senses trained. Gymnasio, we get our word gymnasium from it. They've trained their senses to discern good and evil. You need the book, you need the truth of the book, and you need application of that truth. And as you exercise what you know, you grow and you develop discernment. And that's largely what the church lacks today. Third and finally, the human heart was made to be occupied by the Lord. Now, the Antichrist will accept the offer that Jesus refused in Matthew 4 there in the Mount of Transfiguration. If you remember, Satan offered him all the kingdoms of the world if he would bow down and worship him, which was a legitimate, bring that slide up, they're still writing it, which was a legitimate offer, the last slide, (laughs) sorry, a legitimate offer. Why? Because what Adam lost, Satan gained. I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world, just don't go by the cross. And Jesus refused. What he refused, this coming man of sin will embrace. The human heart, it says, number three, was made to be occupied by the Lord. Now, Satan is going to control this world leader, and he will control people today who refuse Jesus. Remember, the Bible says you are of your father, the devil. Once you've passed that point of accountability, the Bible says you are of your father, the devil, and God wants to occupy your heart. He wants to give you a heavenly father, but your sin needs to be forgiven. You need to be indwelt by the spirit. Jesus said it three times over, you must be born twice to enter the kingdom of God. I don't care how religious you are, unless you are born again. Being born again is not some supercharged Christian. It is what a Christian is. You must be born a second time to enter the kingdom of God. And if your heart today has not been born a second time, then I invite you to call upon Jesus right now. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. Whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Would you in simple childlike faith say, Lord Jesus, save me. Trust him to do it. If you trust him to do it, you'll be 100% sure Because remember, salvation is the gift of God. It's not of works. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life. You say, that's too easy. It shatters all human pride. You have to admit that your sin is wrong, that it has placed a death blow on you, for the soul that sins must die. But if you will put your faith where God put your sin on a substitute, Jesus, who took that death blow for you, whom he raised from the dead, if you will call upon him today, he will instantly and eternally save you and begin to change you. Now, Father, for the rest of us who maybe have already crossed that line, help us not to be babes, but to pursue milk to learn the truth of Scripture, to chew on it, to meditate on it, to apply it, that we might have some basic discernment in this day that we live in. 
We ask it to the glory of Christ and in his holy name. Amen. If you enjoyed today's message, remember that you can order a CD or DVD copy by calling Search the Scriptures at 877-787-7478 and requesting program God's Prophetic Schedule 014. And don't forget that tomorrow, Pastor Carl's wife Audrey is in this time slot with her program for women, Mothering from the Heart. You can hear more of Audrey's messages on the Search of Scriptures app found on the iTunes and Google Play Store. Also, check out Audrey's podcast, Rare But Real, on Apple, Google, and Spotify podcast platforms. You can also listen to her podcast at searchthescriptures.org. We hope that you will join us next week as we continue to Search the Scriptures.